So there was a farmer that went out to sow some seed, um, and some seed fell along the path, and there were these birds that came and ate it. Other seed fell on some rocky ground uh, where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but since they didn't have depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they writhered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. You can go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. I want you to imagine this morning that you were there when Jesus told that parable. Hopefully you recognized what I was talking about. Comes here from Matthew 13. But but I want you to imagine from the ears of the people who have never heard this parable before, never heard its explanation, coming maybe from a long distance that to hear Jesus, that this man that, that can heal the, the lame and the sick, that can... Uh, you know, cast out demons, to hear him teach, and then to hear him simply tell this enigmatic, simple story, concluded with the words, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Imagine today if that's all that I preached and with no further explanation or application, at least not to the masses, uh, and we just ended there. How would you react to that? You may understand why in Matthew 13 and verse 10, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, why do you speak to them in parables? Um, You know, they they might be thinking, you know, Jesus, a lot of these people have heard some pretty great things uh, about you uh, and they've come all this way. I think they were really kind of hoping that you might, uh, you know, have a little something more to say than this simple story about an inefficient farmer. Um, why are you teaching them in, in parables? The interesting thing about the parable of the sower is that it essentially answers that question um, within itself. It illustrates to us the nature and the purpose of the seed Jesus was sowing, the message he was teaching. The seed of God's word, the word of the kingdom, Uh, is a litmus test of the heart. The seed was intended to differentiate between soils, to discern between hearts. How each individual responds to Jesus' words ultimately reveal the condition of their hearts. How we respond to the gospel says a lot more about us and what's going on inside our hearts than it does about the, the power of God's word. God's word, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the power of God's word. And it's going to discern, it's going to determine the condition of our hearts. It's going to tell us what's going on inside. God's word is somewhat of a litmus test. Do you want to know the condition of your heart? You want to know the quality of your heart? Bring it in contact 
with the word of God and see what kind of effect, see what kind of impact it has on your life. Does it grow? Does it change you? Does it make a visible difference? Does it bear fruit? If it does or if it doesn't, that's going to tell you something about the condition of the soil of your heart. How do we respond to the word of God? How we respond to the word of God is ultimately uh, the most important thing about us. Uh, It determines who we are. It determines what our heart is truly like. If we uh, do not interact well with the word of God, if we don't respond correctly to it, then no amount of outward devotion, no amount of religious involvement, no amount of going through the motions is going to matter. How we respond to God's word is an entrance exam for all of the things that God wants to teach us and all of the ways that he wants to bless us. And if we fail here, if we fail in how we interact with God's word, we'll never be able to be who God wants us to be. Verse 12 of Matthew 13 Jesus, as he begins to explain why he's speaking in parables, he says in verse 12, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. From the one who has, the one who has what? I think, remember, he ended his parable by saying, He who has ears, let let him hear. The one who has ears to hear, the one who has the open heart, is going to receive not only the seed, but all the blessings that come from that seed. The one who does not have, who does not have ears to hear, who does not have the good and honest heart, even the seed that was sown is going to be taken away. And so today, as we look at the parable of the sower, this is primarily an opportunity for self-examination. Um, as is every opportunity that we come in contact with God's word. Um, But there's a lot of things that we could focus on in the parable of the sower. In fact, two weeks ago, we talked about pictures of evangelism. And we talked about being fishers of men. We talked about shining our lights. We also talked about sowing the seed uh, and focused to some extent on this picture that we see here in Matthew 13. Uh, And I think there are some lessons that we can learn here about the role of the sower, about evangelism. But this parable was not primarily told for us to put ourselves in the role of the sower. Now, in this parable, we're primarily supposed to see ourselves in the position of the soil. And so I want us to to take that focus today. Um, First and foremost, this parable is an opportunity for each of us to examine the condition of our hearts. I, I want you to try to imagine today your heart as a garden, a flower bed, uh, maybe a plot of land. And every thought, every emotion, every personality trait, every attitude and priority is represented in some way within that garden, within that plot of land. What does that garden look like? Is it neat and tidy? <laughs> is it well cultivated and watered and diligently manu- manicured? Is it fruitful? Or would you say maybe it's a little bit of a mess? Um, Are there some areas where it's gotten a little out of hand, overgrown, not given the attention or the nourishment that it needs? 
as we go throughout this parable today, I want you to try to continue to visualize in your mind what the terrain, what the soil of your heart looks like. Every time we come in contact with God's word, it's intended to discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It's intended to help us look at the condition of this soil a little more closely. James 1, verse 22 through 25 tells us that when we come to God's word, uh, we're supposed to be doers and not just hearers. And and the doer is the one who, who looks intently into the mirror of God's word. And he doesn't just go away. He, he allows it to change him. He makes application of it. We're, we're pictured as we come to God's word as looking into a mirror. You know, not looking into a telescope to explore all the vast questions of the universe, all the philosophical and academic questions we might want to ask. We're, we're not pictured as looking into a microscope, you know, lo- looking at other people. We're first and foremost looking into a mirror. So what do we see within ourselves? What kind of soil describes the garden of your heart? How do you respond to God's word? Well, first we read about the soil along the path. We see Jesus explain this in Matthew 13 and verse 19. Matthew 13 and verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. This is the one that hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. How do I respond when God's word is difficult to understand? You know, back in verse 14 and 15, when he was describing why he talks in parables, Jesus said in verse 14, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Why is it that God's people weren't understanding his word? What was it an eye problem? They need to go to the ophthalmologist. Was it an ear problem? No, obviously it was a heart problem. It wasn't even an intellect problem. It's not that it was just really difficult for them. They they weren't very good, uh, you know, uh, with literature, with uh, academics. They, They couldn't grasp it. First and foremost, this is an issue of their heart. Their heart had grown Dull. The issue was not so much their capability to understand as their willingness to understand, to put in the effort necessary to understand. In fact, Jesus says to these very disciples in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Think about Jesus' disciples. Think about his apostles for a moment. How often did Jesus' disciples immediately understand And fully grasp the things that he was teaching them. (laughs) Just about never. Um, Does that make them the wayside soil? Does that make Jesus' apostles uh, what he's describing here? Well, Well, no. Even when they didn't fully understand, they dug a little deeper. They asked questions. They sought out further explanations. They, they didn't allow the difficulty of understanding or difficulty of accepting Jesus' message 
to turn them away from the truth. They searched for it all the more diligently. And so being the wayside soil is not about having a hard time understanding God's word. It's about whether or not we are willing to put in the effort to understand God's will and God's character and who he is. Look back in Proverbs chapter 2 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1, Solomon speaking to his son says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is a big if-then statement, right? If you do this, then, verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Well, what, what is it that we have to do? Do you, do you see the language that describes his search for wisdom here? He's making his ear attentive, inclining his heart. He's crying out, raising his voice, searching it out, digging for it, seeking it like silver, searching for it like hidden treasures. We're not just going to stumble upon an understanding of what God's will is. We're not just going to stumble upon the knowledge of God. It's something uh, that God has made accessible to us, but it's something that we're going to have to put great effort in. When when I see this picture of him calling out for it, raising his voice for it, uh, imagine for a moment that uh, your, your little child gets lost in a crowded area. And all of a sudden, you don't know where they are. How are you going to search for that child? Are you going to say, you know, tap somebody on the shoulder, by, by the way, have, have, have you seen my child? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know where they are. Well, no, of course not. You're, you're going to raise your voice. Has anybody seen my child? That's the picture that we have here. Somebody desperate to understand who God is and what God desires of us. That's who we need to be. We need to put forth the effort to have this deep and abiding desire to to know God, to know his heart, to know his character, his will. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3, describes to us one who is a tree planted by the waters. Um, Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Who here wants to be a tree planted by the waters? I, I think spiritually speaking, all of us want to be fruitful for the Lord. We want to be grounded uh, in uh, our relationship with him. Well, how do we get there? God doesn't make it a secret, right? Notice in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's not just once a week, a couple times a week. It is us digging and feeding and searching that we can know God. It's us having a deep and abiding passion to spend time 
getting to know him. Not just as some academic or philosophical pursuit. God's word is a window into the mind of God. And our mirror to see ourselves more clearly. And so you might say, well, you know, I'm just not a very good reader. Literature has never really been my, my thing. Uh, it doesn't come naturally to me. I, I just feel like I read it and I just feel like I don't get a lot out of it on my own. Well, brethren, the number one determining factor of whether or not you will properly come to understand God's word is not your reading level, is not your rhetorical skills, it's not your IQ, it's the sincerity of your heart. What is important is not how naturally Bible study comes to you, but how committed you are to it. Jesus said in John 7 and verse 17, if anyone wills to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Brother, that, that is the foundation. Do we genuinely desire to do God's will? If we, are, if we do, then we're going to hunger for God's word. Then we're going to cry out for it. Then we're going to pursue it whether it comes easily or not. How do I respond when God's word is difficult to understand? Do I just kind of set it on the shelf and sit back in my chair and say, well, you know, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll understand it. Or do I seek for it? Do I search for it? Uh, do I spend time feeding upon it, digging within it day by day, um, that I may know God, that I may know his mind, his thoughts, and be pleasing to him? But back in Matthew chapter 13, we read about another type of soil. We read about the rocky soil. And Jesus explains this for us in verse 20 and 21. It says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. How do I respond when obeying God's word is difficult? You know, maybe it's not so much that I struggle with understanding what it is that God wants me to do or who God wants me to be. Um, Maybe it's more so I have a difficult time actually applying that, actually living that from day to day. I can look in the mirror and I can see pretty clearly what I need to change, but I'm just not so sure I want to make the necessary sacrifices. I'm only willing to go so far and allowing God's word to change me. And there are some areas where I'm only going to allow God's word to penetrate so deep. I have my limits. Is that me? You know, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, do you remember what Jesus said about those who want to be his disciples? Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If we want to be Jesus' disciples, we need to recognize that that is going to come with 
persecution. Now, certainly Jesus did come to bring peace between us and God and between those who who submit to him. But there are going to be times where the world uh, is not going to be at peace with us. We're not going to be able to be at peace with those who are are not um, submitting to the Lord. It may be that even within our own family, with those very close to us, uh, there is going to uh, arise a conflict. Um, But the picture of discipleship um, is that we can't allow any relationship, any priority, any goal to come before our service to the Lord. You know, maybe for some people here, You've never really encountered that experience. Maybe those closest to you are very supportive of your service to the Lord. Maybe you haven't had to break off a whole lot of relationships. Um, You've grown up without ever having to make any drastic changes in your belief or thinking or lifestyle. Make no mistake about it. The more time that we spend digging into God's word, or maybe more appropriately, allowing God's word to dig into us, we can be sure there will come a time where it hits a rock. And we're going to have to decide, are we going to let it go deeper? Are we going to let it make the changes that God wants to make within us? Or are we going to leave that rock where it is? And be satisfied to continue as we are and not make the sacrifices necessary to grow deeper in our obedience to God's will. when, When we recognize that God is requiring something of us, is desiring something of us, that that's going to mean difficulty, that's going to mean challenge, that's going to mean sacrifice, that maybe it's going to affect my relationship with other people, maybe people won't treat me the same way, maybe I won't be able to enjoy the same things that I enjoyed before. How do I respond to that? You know, I'm afraid sometimes we think, well, but this is just one little rock, right? Maybe, maybe I can leave this here and maybe it'll grow somewhere else. It's not how it works. Now, when, when, when God's word encounters a rock, we have a decision to make. This is the litmus test of our heart. Are we going to surrender that to the Lord? Or are we really going to keep ourselves as the ones in charge? Jesus' picture is taking up our cross and follow him. That means we're dead. <laughs> that means it's no longer about us. That means that he gets to have his way in everything. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How do I respond when God's word is difficult to obey? James 1 verse 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How is it that we could be joyful when we encounter difficulty for the sake of obeying God's word? Imagine for a moment uh, gardening. Um, my, my mother um, has a big garden in their backyard. And in high school, there, there were many a time that we were sent out to, to dig and to find the rocks, sometimes very sizable rocks. You know, there was great joy in taking one of those rocks and pulling it out of the soil and setting it to the side, knowing that it wasn't in there anymore. 
When we encounter trials and difficulties in trying to, to serve the Lord and trying to be obedient to his word, this is our opportunity. This is our chance to determine whether or not we're going to really let God's word do what it is intended to do within our lives. If we are not willing to, that's going to be a very sorrowful thing. If we are willing to, it's going to be a very joyous thing to dig that rock out by God's grace and know that his word is going to be able to dig all the more deeper within our lives. Trials will either make us grow or make us wither. Which do you see in your life? Many times we use trials as excuses. You know, I, I know I'm not doing very well spiritually, but, but this is going on and that's going on. You know what the parable of the sower tells us? Trials are going to tell us how we're truly doing spiritually. Right? They're going to bring to light how we're truly doing spiritually. And so if we're making that an excuse for why we're not doing well, that, that's really just revealing what's been in our heart all along. It should be an opportunity by God's grace for us to grow. But Jesus talks about another type of soil. Matthew 13 and verse 22, he tells us about the thorny soil. Verse 22, Jesus says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. How do I respond when serving God conflicts with other priorities in my life? You know, I'm sure if we asked anyone present here today, um, what is your first priority in life? You, you'd probably say, well, serving God. Um, that's why you're here. But sometimes what we claim our priorities are and what they actually are in reality are a lot different. What they are in practice is a lot different. We might be answering that question based on what we know our priorities should be rather than what they actually are. But God isn't going to judge us based on our intentions. God is going to judge us based on what we've actually done in response to the powerful working of his word. You know, Carl mentioned briefly uh, in the Lord's Supper talk about the, the rich young ruler. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, uh, the story uh, about the young man here um, who comes to Jesus in verse 16 of Matthew 19. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Verse 17, and he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. If you had asked this young man what the top priority in his life was, what, what do you think he would have said? Well, he comes here to Jesus asking, wanting to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And when Jesus tells him some of the commands that he needs to be following, I think he's honest in saying, well, I have kept those. But he's, he still knows that there's something more. What, what do I still lack? And Jesus tells him what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. You know, that, that should be a joyful thing, right? 
Jesus ends his words by saying, you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he doesn't go on his way rejoicing. No, he leaves sorrowful. Because he's come face to face with the reality of what his true priorities are. Whatever he might have claimed, whatever he might have thought, when priorities come in conflict with one another, it's going to show us what's truly first in our life. Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Brethren, you cannot have two first priorities. It's not possible. And when two priorities come in conflict conflict with one another, uh, one is going to win out. Is it your work, your finances, your family, your hobbies, your reputation, your pride? Don't be deceived. Uh, So many times it's easy for us when things come in conflict, conflict, whether it be our, our schedule or whether it be, you know, in our finances, uh, that, that we choose one, but we say, but, but this one over here is, is really is still my first priority. That's not how it works. No, the one that is our first priority is going to win out. And it's going to reveal something about our heart. It may not be what we want it to be. But it's going to reveal the truth of what's in our heart. Do you ever feel like you just don't have enough time or energy to spend serving God? Well, that time and that energy are going somewhere, right? Are they weeds that are sapping up the water and nourishment in the soil of your heart and only leaving God the leftovers? Does this describe us? How do I respond when serving God conflicts with other priorities? in my life. Well, Jesus gives us one more example here. In verse 23, we read about the good soil. Um, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23, it says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, then another 60, and another 30. The distinguishing factor in this soil ultimately is that it bears fruit. Um, When you look at the soil of your heart, what fruit do you see? How can others see God's word at work in my life? In what ways am I proving fruitful? What kind of fruit should you see in your life? Well, I, I think first and foremost about Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 He tells us about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. That's what God's spirit is intended to be producing within us. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The character of God. Uh, God's word, God's spirit is intended to to cause his image to become very clear within us and the way that we interact, the way that we treat other people around us. I'm afraid sometimes we think that the fruit of our lives is primarily seen in the extent of our religious involvement. 
how faithful I am in my church attendance, how well I know my Bible. Those are extremely important things. God has provided that for our service and our growth. Uh, But we can be going through all the motions and still not be bearing the fruit of God's spirit. Or perhaps we think that the bearing fruit is primarily about the things that we don't do. You know, I, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't curse. Uh, I don't engage in these other forms of immorality. Is that, you know, those things are extremely important. We, we need to, to maintain holiness, separation from, from the evil and immorality of the world. But, but being a Christian, bearing fruit isn't primarily about what you don't do either, right? The fruit that God speaks about is primarily active demonstrations of his character living within us. Consider Matthew chapter 5. We talked about this as we talked about evangelism. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do we shine our lights? Is it primarily about the things that we don't do? Well, that's extremely important. If we're involved in immorality, we're, we're going to be ruining the, the flavor of the salt that he talks about. We're, we're not going to be shining light. We're going to be darkness. But that within itself isn't shining the light. Is it primarily things like me, me knowing my Bible and, and going to church? Those are extremely important things, right? But, but is the world going to be motivated to, to give glory to God because I go to church every Sunday? Because I know my Bible? Well, no, these are things that he's talking about that the world is going to see. And they even are going to be motivated to give glory to God, says they're going to see your good works. They're going to see God's character living within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're going to see the way that you treat other people. They're going to see the joy that you have in the midst of trial, the hope that you have, even when this world is falling apart, the faith and the confidence that you have, even in fear and danger. And they're going to be motivated to give glory to the light that is shining through you. God's light. Do other people see that in you? In the way that you live from day to day? You know, I, I think sometimes I've looked at the parable of the sower and thought, well, I did respond to the gospel, right? I was baptized. So obviously, you know, I, 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 I'm the good soil. Well, no, it's, it's a lot more than that. In fact, every time I come in contact with God's word, I have a choice. What kind of soil am I going to be? And brethren, if, if something from God's word convicts me, and I kind of push it to the side, maybe I get angry at the people that, that are bringing it to my attention, um, I don't want to think about it, I don't want to talk about it, I want to kind of bury it in a back room uh, and, and, and not let the light of God's word drive it out, then I'm not the kind of soil that I say I am. How we respond to God's word is the most important thing about us. What about you? 
As you look into the mirror of God's word, what do you see? What kind of changes do you need to make um, in the life that you're living and the way that you've responded to God's word? If you recognize today that, that you're some other type of soil than that good soil, then let God tear out the weeds. Let God dig out the rocks. Let God plow through the hardness of, of that soil. God is worthy of all that we can give him and so much more. God loves us so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross in our place so that we could have life. How do we respond to that? If you need to make some change, if, if it's some public change, you need to confess before these brethren, bring it into the light so that we can be praying for you and, and supporting you as you seek to grow through that. That's why we're here to help one another in our service to the Lord. Um, if it is some private change that you need to make, I'd encourage you, reach out to somebody. Uh, even if you don't come before this entire assembly, reach out to somebody who's going to help you and keep you accountable as, as you seek to change and grow. And if you've never committed your life to the Lord, Jesus died so that you could be saved so that you could bury your old man of sin in the waters of baptism and by his grace, by the power of the resurrection, be raised to walk in newness of life with hope of eternity in God's presence. If you don't have that today, don't leave here without it. If there's any way that we can help you, won't you please make it known at this time as we stand and sing together.